Hello and welcome along to the Property Academy Podcast by Opus Partners. I'm your host, Steve McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nichol. And today on the show, we're talking about the aftershocks and aftermath from the floods and specifically Cyclone Gabrielle, which has recently hit Auckland and Hawke's Bay incredibly hard. Now, we've had a listener of the show message in to us and say, hey, could you talk to us about what happened after the Christchurch earthquakes in 2011? Because I'm thinking that maybe we'll see the same effects happen within the Hawke's Bay. First off, I do need to say the effects of the cyclone have just been absolutely awful. And I'm not suggesting that people should get into any property market just so they can profiteer off some potentially quite volatile markets that we might see in terms of the rental and property markets. But I do want to give our thoughts on what could potentially happen just so you know what might happen. And the other thing we're going to talk about is the way that property investors can be involved in the recovery to help these regions in their rebuild. But just before we get into the data, Andrew, from your experience, what happened in Christchurch after those earthquakes in terms of the rental and the property market? So Christchurch was an interesting one because the damage was so widespread. Auckland at the moment, they're saying, how many properties damaged? Like max 5,000 was max the... Max 5,000. That was the last data I looked at. Now again, I'm not saying that that's an insignificant number because, you know, 5,000 homes have been seriously affected. But Christchurch, when they had the earthquakes, there were 10,000. Remember, Christchurch's got a much smaller market. 10,000 properties, which represented 6.5% of the entire 150,000 approximately residential homes in the Canterbury region. 10,000 of them needed to be demolished and 100,000 of the 150, so two-thirds, two out of every three properties, had damage. Yeah, to be fair, it was 110,000 buildings. Now, that includes commercial. But well over half of Christchurch residential homes would have been substantially damaged. And I think one of the big things is because there were so many aftershocks going on, People didn't know whether or not they were in the clear. Even if they had no damage, it was, well, you know, if I go and buy a house now in the Christchurch market, am I going to get an aftershock that's going to tear it down in a month's time? Yeah, the only thing I'm going to pull you up on, though, is while after the first floods, there was limited damage to the whole Auckland housing stock. Bear in mind, you know, we're talking about maybe 1% of the stock. I haven't seen any good numbers after the most recent cyclone, Cyclone Gabrielle. Either in Auckland, but the one I'm really thinking about is Hawke's Hawks Bay. Bay yeah. So I recently heard numbers from the finance minister, Grant Robertson, speaking on Q&A, which is a wonderful political TV show on Sunday mornings. And he was talking about that they expect it might cost 12 to $13 billion to help Hawke's Bay recover. 12 it, to $13 billion. Well, that's exactly what it costs to help Canterbury recover. Yes. Now, bear in mind that we're 12 years later, there's been some inflation, prices are higher. But still, we're probably talking about over half of the amount of money needing to be spent in inflation-adjusted terms in order to help Napier recover. The issue sitting here recording today is I don't have any good data for you about how many houses have been significantly damaged. There will be quite a lot. And if you've seen some of the photos of houses that just have mud completely through them, like over a metre and a half of mud through people's houses, you haven't seen those? No. Oh, you've got some sights to see because these houses have been absolutely destroyed. The question as well, and again, it's too early to know this, but in Christchurch, the foundations of many houses were destroyed because it was the earth moving. Here you've had 
metres of mud flow through these houses. The question is going to be whether those also need to be demolished, and we don't know the extent of it. But let's jump out now into the Christchurch data, because if we look at what happened to Christchurch property prices, in February 2011, we had the earthquake. They stayed pretty flat for about six months. Six months later, they were only 0.6% higher. But in the four years after that, we saw Christchurch property prices increase 80% above their pre-quake levels. Now, if you say, well, okay, Christchurch house prices went up 80%, well, what was happening in the rest of the country? Because that's what we need to know. Was the rest of the country increasing at a faster rate? Was it increasing at a slower rate? And the answer is the rest of the country, excluding Auckland, increased only by about 20% over that period. So everywhere else, regional New Zealand, they went up by a fifth. Christchurch went up by four-fifths over that time. So Christchurch house prices increased at a rate four times faster than the rest of regional New Zealand. It's pretty drastic, and you'd be right in thinking, well, how's the prices going up if you know there's all this damaged stock, right? Well, especially because Christchurch saw its population decrease by about 3.6%, which is a lot of people, but possibly not as large as some others might think. You might think, oh, I would have thought maybe 10 to 20% of people might have moved away. No, only about 3.6%. But in Christchurch, two years after the quakes, there were 6% fewer houses, even after accounting for new buildings. So we had a whole heap of them demolished. We had some new buildings be created. We've still got a lot of damaged houses. But if you look at the housing stock, there were 6% fewer houses and there were 3.5% fewer people. So the amount of supply fell much more quickly and by much more than the amount of demand falling. And on top of that, you had a whole heap of people who were looking for temporary accommodation because they might not have been able to stay in their homes, especially as they were being rebuilt. Yeah, that was one of the big things because if you had to move out of your house for six to 12 months, if it was you know significantly damaged and you're having it rebuilt, you had to go and then find something else. So you had people who were never going to be tenants again who were now tenants again. And on top of that, what about the insurance payouts? How did insurance payouts affect people's behaviour? In terms of going and renting somewhere, so say I lived in a house that I owned and now I had to move out of it for 12 months, often I would get a quite a large amount of money allocated that I could go and spend on rent. Now, it wasn't my money, so I didn't care. So if I went to you and, and you had a property and you were going to charge $1,000 a week, which was like ridiculous for the house that you were renting out, well, it's the insurance money. I don't really care. I'll give you the $1,000 a week and sign up for it. So very easy to spend money that's not yours, right? So that's how we start to see rents increase. And actually, we've got some good stats about that. Yeah. So in the two years after the February earthquake, rents were up 31%. In two years, 31%. That's about three times the level that we would expect over that period of time, right? Yeah, at a maximum. So rents were up how much a week? $92 a week, which was a lot of money back then. And when you think about Auckland, Auckland for that same period was up only 13%, which was $50 a week. So if you look at it proportionately in terms of how quickly did rents increase after the earthquakes, Christchurch was increasing at a rate about two and a half times faster than Auckland in terms of how fast those rents were increasing. And again, it happens because of the same story. You've got a lot of people that need to find temporary accommodation. And on top of that, you've got people who have been paid out insurance money 
But because properties have been damaged, there's a lack of supply. That's why we start to see pressure in the housing market happen. And what I do want to talk about is what do we think is going to happen in the Hawke's Bay? And I do think that it's going to be a similar story to what we saw in Christchurch. There is going to be some amount of population decline. Some people are going to move away. They're going to say, I can't stay here in Hastings or Esk Valley. I'm going to go live with my family somewhere else. Or they might say, I'm going to transfer my job. There will be some amount of population decline. On top of that, there will be some housing stock decline. It is going to take months, perhaps years, for some of those damaged properties that have mud up to almost the ceilings for that to be cleared away and for those homes to be fixed. It's going to take a lot of time. We're going to see house and rental price growth. At what point we're going to start to see that happen, I can't exactly tell you. It's going to take some time for people to start selling houses again, for people to have the confidence to be able to do that. And but I do expect banks are another big part of that because if you're going to lend money after the Christchurch earthquakes on a Christchurch property, they were doing all these checks to make sure that their security was sound. Okay, I expect as well that you might get a premium for properties that are built on higher ground, meaning that if there was another flood, you're not going to see that again. There are some really interesting implications, I think, from this about where developers decide to build. I know there's about a 600-unit development meant to happen in Napier, but over the past two years, it's been flooded twice. And so whether or not that goes ahead is probably a good question. I think we're going to be a lot more sensitive to where we build, especially if you think more extreme weather events might happen again in the future. But I think there is a big question in all of this that, again, we don't have the data for yet, is how many properties are damaged? What is the extent of that damage? Is it foundational? Are there a significant number of properties that need to be demolished or can they be repaired and how easily can they be repaired? If nothing else, I think this will help the construction industry, though it feels a bit strange saying that given the amount of devastation, both in terms of properties damaged and lives lost. But those construction firms based in the Hawke's Bay they were probably looking pretty quiet in the second half of the year. They're going to be quite busy now. So the question is, what needs to be done? We're going to find that out over the next three to six months. But what I really want to talk about, Andrew, is what can private property investors do with their capital, with their money to help Hawke's Bay and Auckland recover after these extreme weather events? Well, I think you've got you know your two types of investors. You've got your active and your passive. So if you're an active investor, then maybe you are going to be looking for properties where someone doesn't want to go through the heartache of fixing up their own home. Certainly there was a lot of that in Christchurch. And so an investor might go in there and say, well, we're prepared to pay X amount for the property and it's as is state. There will likely be an insurance payout on top of that that would go to the existing owner. They'd take that money and they'd go and buy themselves a new home and move on with their lives. Then the investor can go in there, renovate the property, deal with any issues that need to be dealt with as far as water damage, and then restore that so that it can be rented out again as a normal rental. The benefit of that is not every homeowner has the skills or the money or the wherewithal in order to be able to do that. They might just say, we want to move on with our lives. A lot of people haven't gone through that. A lot of people just want to start afresh. And so even if they could live through the, the renovations, they just, you know, they don't want to. Yeah, so that's one part. What about new build investors? New build investors. I mean, if you're willing to invest here and, and have a brand new property that would be suitable for someone who 
is displaced or just wants a property in a different location because they don't want to run the risk of there being damaged, then maybe something higher up, like you said before. I think there could be a part to play for people saying, we're going to buy a new build in Napier because developers right now need pre-sales in order to be able to progress those projects. And if investors sign up for these and say, we're going to buy something that's going to be finished in a year's time, that's going to be that more properties get built in Napier. And you might think, oh yeah, but they need properties right now. Why am I going to buy something that might not be finished for a year? This is going to take years to recover on. Christchurch is still recovering 12 years on from the earthquake. The cathedral is not going to be finished for another five, six years. And there are infrastructure projects that have still not come to an end. This is going to be multi-year. We've just Um, ticked over the 12-year anniversary, I think. I'm not personally saying that we all should go out and buy new builds right in Napier right now. I want to see some more data come through, but I do think there is a part to play for private investors in terms of making those properties livable and providing a good service to people in Hawke's Bay right now. Hey, look, we're going to wrap it up there, but please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. really does help us get the message out to more people. And hey, if you are planning for your long-term future, you've got to check out our My Wealth Plan software because this is where you are going to be able to start off a financial plan and see when you stop working, what sort of passive income are you going to have available right now? I'm going to link that down in the show notes or just go to mywealthplan.opuspartners.co.nz. listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Steve McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the property market. Until next time.